Well, I'm very excited to be here this morning, and um, and I tell you, I, I love the praise in this church and the worship no, worshipfulness. Uh, is that a word? I think that's a word. Um, but I love worshiping in this church, and I'm thankful for Ben and his heart, uh, and and everybody that volunteers up here in the in the um, in the praise team. It's just wonderful. And and you know, I've been to a lot of churches as we moved around. I I, I was counting. I think this is number eleven um, as we move in the military, and I. I don't go to many churches where the worship leader breaks a guitar string like every Sunday. <laughs> so you know we're, we're worshiping hard here. Um, but it really is. It's, it's a, it's a, I just really feel that connection in this church, uh, and it's very worshipful, and I, I really appreciate that um, about this particular church and about the church in general, how we give praise to God. I'm also excited to be here this morning. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Paul asking me and inviting me to come up here. Um, and, uh, and I would say thank you, except that I realized on the calendar that today was the time change and that everybody in here is running off one less hour of sleep. And so now I'll just say you're welcome. Um, we just concluded uh, a, a series that Pastor Paul preached on contending, on contending. It was a wonderful series uh, based on uh, a, the Greek word agonizomai. I believe is the way you pronounce that, uh, to contend for the faith. And last Sunday, uh, it was capped off by, by the Apostle Paul, uh, his, his potential, I suppose, his would-be epitaph. And, and that was, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so when we look at that, we say the good fight, the race, the faith. What's Paul talking about here? What Paul's talking about is, is a mission, right? He's contending for the faith, and, and in that, he is a mission. And the mission to, is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to advance the kingdom of God. And so now, as we transition from this series on contending to a series on the Great Commission, that's exactly, it's the handoff, right? This is, this is us now. And we are contending. We have been told to contend. So, the good fight, the race, the faith is up to us, right? That we have been commissioned to carry on this work of advancing the kingdom. And so I think it's just a perfect transition from contending to the Great Commission and to understand what our mission is in advancing the kingdom. And so before we get into uh, this particular scripture today, I want to kind of set the background a little bit. The scripture itself is the Great Commission, uh, the most famous, I suppose you would say, is in Matthew 28, and we'll get to that. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching on just 11 words from that, that scripture today. But as we turn to Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there yet, what I want to do is kind of set up where we are, and then we'll get into the scripture, okay? Just to kind of give us the context. So um, Jesus was born, right? Jesus was born uh, a miracle birth, a virgin birth, right? So from the very beginning of Jesus' life, he's completely set apart. A miraculous birth. He grows up in this world. At the age of about 30, he starts a ministry. And in that ministry, he performs miracles. He casts out demons. He heals people. Right? His disciples see all of this. At the end of his life, he is crucified. That happened on a Friday. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 28, the beginning of the chapter, um, Saturday, day of rest, the Sabbath, everybody rested. And then Sunday, Sunday morning, 
the beginning of Matthew 28, there's an earthquake. And the angel of the Lord comes down and he rolls away the stone. And meanwhile, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, um, as this is mother, Mary the mother of James, as we pick up from the other Gospels, and the other Gospels tell us that there's probably three other ladies with them. So we have Mary and Mary and probably three other ladies. So we have a, a group of ladies that go to the tomb. And when they get there, the angel of the Lord is still there, but Jesus is not. Jesus has risen. And Jesus has left the grave. And there is the angel of the Lord, and he says to him, Jesus is not here. You should go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and there Jesus will meet them. Right? So that's, that's the message that the, the angel of the Lord gives to Mary, and so um, the Marys and the gang. And so the group of ladies head back, and as they're walking back, they have an encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus. And Jesus tells them, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. So the angel of the Lord has told them, Galilee's where we need to go. Jesus has said, Galilee's where we need to go. So we're focused on a certain area now and a certain mission. And there's something that has to take place. And this isn't just at this moment. Before, when Jesus, right after the Last Supper, he's walking over the Mountain of Olives with his with his uh, disciples, and he's talking to them, and he says, I will rise again, and I will go ahead of you to Galilee, right? So he's already told them. He knows. They're all going to meet in Galilee, all right? And so you see where we're headed here, because there's something that has to be done, and it is in Galilee where it's going to happen, all right? So, so that's the context of kind of where we get here. Where are we right now? Obviously, this is, this is right after the resurrection. We are in Jerusalem, Right outside Jerusalem is where Jesus was, uh, was crucified and then buried in Joseph's tomb. And where are the disciples? They're in an upper room, somewhere close, right? Um, Paul may be able to tell you exactly where that was. I haven't been to the region, but I know it was at least within running distance because we learned in John that, that Peter and John raced to their tomb, right? Uh, so it's within running distance of Jerusalem or of the tomb, so that's where everybody is. Where's Galilee? Well, Galilee is 150 kilometers away. I looked it up on Google Maps, by the way. It would take one day and seven hours to hike it. All right? So uh, this is not a small journey. So they've got to walk all the way up to Galilee now, right? They can't catch a cab or anything like that or get on a bus. So, uh, so that's where they're going. They're going to Galilee. And at that point, what we'll do now is we'll pick up uh, the actual scripture here. So Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. There are pew Bibles. You guys know this. Pew Bibles underneath the pews in front of you. It's on page 1521, 1521 in your, in your pew Bible there. That's the NIV version. Here we go. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. All right, most of us. Most of you have probably memorized this scripture. If you haven't, uh, as I was reading it, you could probably read along in your minds with me because you've heard it so many times. Go and make disciples, right? This is the Great Commission. This is, this is what Jesus gave us. Go and make disciples of all nations, 
But you'll notice that right before the word go, it says, therefore. Therefore. And you've probably been told, as I have, that anytime you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? Right? <laughs> so what is the word therefore, therefore? Well, it happens to be that a lot of times we'll have to look back a long way to figure out what this is there for and try to build some context. But in, in this particular scripture, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says something, and then he says, therefore. So Jesus has actually set the context here, okay? And right before the word therefore in Jesus' text are 11 words. And those 11 words are, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. All authority on heaven and earth, in heaven and on earth has been given me. Uh, and you're probably counting the 11 words there. I don't blame you. I would count them too. But I, I, believe, that's, I believe that's 11 words as I counted it. It doesn't matter if it's 11 words or not. What matters is this is what Jesus has said, and there's a reason that he said it. Okay? And so that's what we're going to dive into today. Jesus said this context, and there's, there's four questions, I think, that are important to this so that we can under, understand the context of what Jesus is saying. The first is, to whom is Christ talking? To whom is Christ talking? The second, what is the source of his authority? I think that's important to know. What kind of authority are we talking about? And four, why even bring it up? Why are we talking about this? Why did he even say it? All right, so, um, so that's, what, that's where we're going, and we'll, we'll start with uh, who he was talking to. All right, to whom was Jesus talking? As we've already mentioned, Mary and Mary and the gang were supposed to go back and tell the disciples, the 11, it says, uh, disciples. Now, the 11, normally referred to as the 12, right, are the apostles. Those are those that have been set aside specifically as the apostles. Disciples means followers, so sometimes they're used interchangeably. So I guess you could say that all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles, okay? So we have the 12 apostles, now 11, right? Uh, so the 12 minus Judas, who has betrayed Jesus and has, has killed himself. So 12 minus the one is 11. They don't call him Matthew for nothing. Um, some of you all get that later. And when you do, it's still not that funny. Um, so now we have 11. So we know for sure that the 11 were there. Okay? We know for sure that the 11 were there. So who was he speaking to? Certainly the 11. But if we look in the, in the, in the book of Luke... He says that 11 and those that were with them. Well, who was with them? We also know from Luke that there were a group of disciples, and about 70 to 72 in number. Um, and we don't know if it was exactly those that were with them, but there's a good possibility that those with them were the, this, this group of disciples, this 70 that tended to make in the upper room. So it could have been them. Um, but we also have some more insight on this in verse 10. So in Matthew 28, in verse 10, Jesus, when he is talking, now this isn't, this isn't the angel of the Lord speaking anymore. This is Jesus talking to them. He says, go and tell the brothers. So the, the, the angel said the disciples, Jesus said the brothers. Now, I don't want to read too much into it, but we also have context of the word the brothers in Matthew. Okay, so it's the same author, uses the word brothers in a different context, and that is back in um, Matthew 12, Verse 49 and 50. And so Jesus' mother and his brothers come to visit him. And he's in 
talking and teaching, and somebody comes in and says, your mother and your brothers are waiting outside. And he says, who is my mother and my brothers? And then he points to his disciples, and he says, here is my mother and my brothers. And then in verse 50, get this, he says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's us. As followers of Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the brothers, the sisters, the mothers. And so I think that there's good reason for us to believe, no matter who was there, whether it was just the 11 in Galilee, whether it was that group of 70, whether there were more or less or some combination of those numbers, I think it suffices to say that Jesus was also talking to us. This is recorded in Scripture and passed down to us. And when he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, he is speaking to us. All right. So recorded through Matthew, through the, the superintending of the Holy Spirit for us to read millennia later, he is speaking to us. So the second question we ask is, what is the source of this authority? And I think this is important. Where do we derive authority from? You know, before I came here to Newport, I was a, a commander of a, an Air Force squadron. And in that squadron, I was given command authority. And what that means is I could, I could order, right? I had the authority to order. So I could, I could order people into harm's way. I could give commands and expect them to be carried out. I could order discipline, and it would be carried out. But that wasn't just because I said so, right? That authority was given me. And there was actually, this is, this is true um, of, of, I think it's mandatory in all squadrons. At least it happened in mine. I never questioned why it happened. But there was pictures on the wall in my squadron. So there's a picture of me, and then there were like eight more pictures over to the President of the United States, right? So my boss was a group commander, his boss, uh, the wing commander, up the chain, all the way through the Secretary of Defense to the President of the United States, right? It's like the degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? So I... I derived my authority from my group commander. He derived his from the wing commander and up until we got to the authority of the President of the United States. So it was important to understand where I derived that authority from. And people in my squadron could see that, oh, it's a long way, but the boss had derived his authority from the President of the United States. Where does he derive his authority? We could say the people, right? In our government, we vote in the president, so we could say that the people give the president uh, his authority. As Christians, we could also say that he has derived his authority from God. In 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor, or the supreme authority, or the governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So as Christians, we are told to submit to authorities because God has put them in that place. So even when we're talking about, like from, from my level as a squadron commander, any authority I have comes up through this chain, and eventually it comes, as, as we believe it, from God. Right? And so when Jesus says, this authority has been given me, he's saying that it comes from somewhere. But, but there may be an objection to this. I might bring up an objection myself and say, you know... Jesus is God, so why then does he need authority? Good point. I'm glad you brought it up. So, yes, 
Jesus is fully God, right? But in the triune relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there are roles. There are roles within that. And we read those very clearly in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, as far as I understand, is a very good place to go. And it looks like it's just kind of a, a lot of flowery language talking about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But in reality, there's some great, rich theology in the beginning of, of the book of Ephesians. And we see uh, the role of God the Father and of, of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. And in this scripture, it says uh, that, that God is the one who authors. Now, author and authority share the same root, right? Author and authority. If you think about it, if you author, that means that you create, Right, that, you, that even through instructions or commands, you are doing something. Right, you are authoring something, and so author and authority have kind of the same root here. And so, as we look at this, it is God the Father who authors, who plans. In verse five of Ephesians one, it says, "In accordance with the, His pleasure and will." In verse nine, it says, "According to His good pleasure." In verse eleven, it says, "According to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will." So it's very clear that the Father is the one who does the authoring. It's the Father's role to author. So authority comes from the role of the Father. And what Jesus is telling us through this is that the authority that he has has been derived then from the Father. He draws legitimacy in his power to author. Right. So as we look at it and, and we say, well, all right, so, so Jesus is saying all authority has been given me has been given me, right? And then he tells us. So in, in essence, we derive our authority to go from Jesus, from Christ, who derives his, obviously, from God. Right? So, uh, so that's important to realize that when Jesus says that, absolute legitimacy to say that. Absolute legitimacy. And he's not saying it in, in, any, in any, he's not even trying to disguise that he has the authority in and of himself. He knows that it comes from the Father, and he wants to make that clear so that we all understand that our authority ultimately, through Jesus Christ, comes from God. The next question, uh, so we know that he's talking to us. We know that he has der derived his authority from God. But what kind of authority is he referring to? What kind of authority? So, in other words, when he says, all authority has been given me, uh, what, what kind of springs to mind in the minds of those disciples at this time, right? And there are, there are a few that I want to go over. First, I want to talk about this word, uh, authority is the power or right to give orders and make decisions. We've already talked about authoring things into being. Uh, the word in Greek is uh, exousia, exousia. And it means the ability or strength which someone is endued, the power of choice to do as one pleases. So the ability or strength and the power of choice. In essence, we have a combination and it's actually this word in Greek is interpreted sometimes as power and sometimes as authority because it means power and authority. Right? So sometimes people have power but no authority. Those are tyrants. And sometimes people have authority but no power. And really, in essence, that's emptiness, right? There is no real authority without, without power. But what, what 
Jesus is saying here is that I have both power and authority. I have the right to tell you and the power to carry it through. So I have both the power and the authority. And so where do we see this? Um, We see it first in the authority in his teaching. The authority in his teaching. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, earlier, again, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, we see something kind of kind of crazy happening. And we don't realize it because we were brought up probably reading this or we've read this in church and we don't have the perspective that the Jews did at the time when this was happening. But what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is profound. It is profound. So what he does is he says, you've heard it said from the people long ago, you shall not murder. But then he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. Okay. He's just taking a little deeper, right? No. When we're talking about not murdering, what we're talking about is the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. You talk about authority, right? These are the laws. And what's Jesus saying? He said, but I tell you. That's nuts. So Jesus is coming in here, and he's adding to the Ten Commandments. That's authority, right? But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. There's at least four more times He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. He says, don't lust. You've heard it said, don't break your oath. I tell you, don't even swear. You've heard an eye for an eye. I tell you, don't resist. You've heard uh, hate your neighbor or hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemy, right? So so Jesus is going uh, deeper. He's he's providing a, a different understanding of the scripture. And in Matthew 7, right after the Sermon on the Mount has finished, those that were, were listening to his, teacher, uh, to his teaching says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes, as one who had authority. So it was recognized in his teaching that he had authority. He had authority to speak to our moral standards. He had the authority to clarify and perfect our understanding of the law. Secondly, he had authority in and over creation. In and over creation. We read in Genesis 1 that God said, let there be light. And there was light. That was day one. And day two, God said, let there be uh, an expanse. Right? Made the, oh, sorry, a separation in the expanse. Day three, God said. Day four, God said. Five, God said. Day six, God said. And finally in day six, he says, and then God said, let us. Let us make men in our image, in our likeness. Us, our. Well, who's he referring to? Right? Who's he referring to? Let's go from Genesis 1 to John 1. In John 1, this is clarified. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the Word? The word's referring to Jesus Christ. And it goes on and says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ was there with God, in God, was God, when God said, let there be. So when we're talking about all authority, what we're talking about is the authority to speak things into being. He had authority over creation. And not only creation, but it didn't end there. He has authority over all the elements, right? Over all the elements. We, we know of a time in Mark, 
where there was a big windstorm. They're out on a boat. He's with his disciples, right? And the wind's about to overtake the boat. And they wake him up and they say, do you not care that we perish? And he turns and he says, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. He spoke to the elements. And what's great about this scripture is, is this is really, I think this is very telling. Um, he said, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Right? So right after he calms the sea, he says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting that, and, and this will come up again in a little bit, but what he's really saying is, do you not understand that I have authority over the seas and over there? Do you not understand? You, where's your faith? In other words, you don't even believe in my authority. So to believe in Jesus is to believe that he has the authority. Authority in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. This day and age, is it, we tend not to believe in spiritual forces. There's a lot of, a lot of folks that don't, right? Um, the world at large tends to depend on the limits of what science can tell us. Science tells us different things at different times throughout history, but yet we stick with that. Uh, so there tends to be something that prevents us from believing that. And, and quite frankly, I think it's, uh, ironically, it is the spiritual forces who veil our eyes to see their existence, right? Uh, but nonetheless, it's true. And in, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, Paul reminds us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is the battle. The battle is against spiritual forces. And so you say, okay, so when, when Jesus says, I have authority in heaven and on earth, what, what, what does that include? What does that encompass? Um, certainly this type of warfare is within that, right? The, the, the heavenly warfare, but that comes to earth as well. In 2 Kings, I think this is a great illustration of this. The prophet Elisha is, uh, is with one of his servants, and they're in Dothan, and they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. This is, this is quite the army of the day, all right? They're surrounded, and his servant comes to him, and he's panicked. And Elisha prays that his servant's eyes will be opened. And so the Lord opened the the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What Jesus is saying here is that he has the ability to beckon angel armies. Right? He can summons an angel army. That's cool. So, so when, we, when we look at the authority that he's talking about, Jesus has the authority uh, to teach. He has the authority uh, to create he has the authority over all elements. He has the authority in heaven and on earth. And the last thing, what, what does that mean? God, Christ has all, all authority. And it gives us, it gives us um, peace in that we know, as it says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. It's a lot of authority, all authority in Christ Jesus. And the last thing I'd like for us to look at is... Why? Why does he say this? Why is it that at this point that, that Jesus says, all authority has been given me? Why didn't he just start with go? Why does he include all this? Uh, I think there's two reasons. The first uh, is that 
It provides confidence in who he is. Provides confidence in who he is. As we said, some doubted. Right? They came to him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, uh, and to look at that doubt, let's take a look at the opposite then and look at what, what it means to not doubt. Okay? What does it mean to have faith? And I, I think there's a great illustration of this as we look um, earlier in Matthew. There's a, there's a story about doubt versus this belief in authority. And I think it, I think it speaks to this scripture perfectly. Uh, it's the story of the centurion, the Roman centurion. So uh, a centurion, a Roman soldier, an officer, comes to Jesus and he has a servant. And his servant is paralyzed and he's suffering. And he comes to Jesus and he, and he tells him, he says, my, my servant is suffering. And Jesus said, he offered, right? He offered, would you like for me to come and heal your servant? And this is what he says, Lord, I do not deserve to you. I do not deserve to have you come under my, under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he does. Uh, and to that, um, and to that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, the centurion is saying to him, I have command of men. I understand the concept of authority. You have authority over sickness, over ailments. Essentially what he's saying is, I understand that you have authority over everything. All you have to do is speak it. So that, in contrast to doubt, is faith. I understand that you have the authority over all things, and all you have to do is speak it. And Jesus recognized this, and in verse 10 it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. To believe in the authority of Jesus is to believe that he is who he said he is, and that he can do what he says he can do. So Jesus says this, first of all, to give us confidence in who he is, and that, and that he can do what he says he can do. The second is to provide us with confidence in who we are in him, and who we are in him. So uh, before the scripture, it says that some doubted, right? And then he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. And then after that, he says, go. Right? So now he's talking to his disciples, to us, and he's saying, go. And as he's saying go, he wants us to understand that as we go, that he has authority. At the end of that, right, he says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. So as we go, we can trust that, that the Jesus of Scripture, the, the Christ with all authority, will be with us. Right? So he's, he's sending us forth, not into a world that's just going to open arms and invite us in. Right? He understands that this, he's, he's sending out sheep among wolves. He understands that it's going to be difficult, that we will sometimes live in isolation, that we will be outcasts, that, that the people that he's talking to right here will be persecuted. Ten out of the eleven of them will be martyred. He understands that, that we're, not, we're not going out into a world that's, that's just going to be open-armed, right? 
But he says, it's important for you to understand that as you go, I am with you and I have all authority. I have all authority. So when we understand who we are in him, we can carry out his mission. So let's put all this together. These 11 words, the preamble, really, to the Great Commission. Um, what do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn that he is speaking to us. We learn that he derived his authority directly from God, and that, in turn, we derive our authority from Christ. We learn that his authority is all-encompassing and that we can trust in what he says. We can take him at his word. And the big idea... God's plan is that Christ use all his authority to reach his people through us. God's plan is that, is that, he, that Christ use all of his authority to reach his people through us. Yes, Christ has all authority. But what that means is he could have done a lot of different things. He, cre- he could have created a new species of people. He could have started again. He could have done lots of things. He could have done it himself. He could have gone out and changed the hearts of individuals himself, but he didn't. What he did was he chose to reach them through us. That's um, pretty profound. And what, what a great privilege it is for us. We are a part of God's divine plan. Not only, not only are we, uh, not only given a gift of salvation, we get to participate in the salvation of others, right? And no, we're not. We're not saving souls. God does that. Jesus Christ does that. But he has sent us to deliver the message of the gospel, right? He wanted us to be a part of this. In his love, he's chosen us to be a part of his master plan. The, the ability to, to speak things into being, the ability to calm the seas, the ability to to heal the centurion's servant. All of these should give us the confidence to understand that we possess a great power in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. So will we doubt him? Right, so now we're faced with this decision. I don't believe that we in our human nature are any different than the disciples. It's easy to poke fun of them, right? And I, I hate to say that, they, they were the disciples, they, the people who wrote the word, right? But yet we see over and over in Scripture how they kind of, well, they pooched it, right? Several times, and they see things going on, and they just don't get it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think, other than just us possessing the Holy Spirit, right, I don't think that there's anything in our human nature that is any different than them. And so we face this question, the same one that they faced, Do I believe in Jesus? In other words, do I believe that Jesus has the authority to do what he says that he'll do? Do I believe that, or will I doubt? One, do I I believe that he has the authority to send me? And two, do I believe that he has the power to work through me? Have you ever had that doubt? Like, yeah, I I get it. He has power to send me, but, but will he accomplish his will through me? Through me. Can he do that? Will he do that? Or will he just abandon me on the battlefield? Well, I'll tell you, I I think you can be sure of this. Because of this statement that he has all authority, the God who chose you to carry out his mission has the authority to do so. 
and the power to carry it through. The authority to do so and the power to carry it through. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, we need you. Uh, we look at the disciples and, and, um, and, and how they saw what you did, and yet they doubted, and we think, wow, I'm glad I don't doubt like that, but God, we do. We doubt. And Lord, I, I pray that you will work in us. You will work through us, Lord, to change our minds about this, to change our hearts about this, to understand, God, that you have the authority. You have all authority. God, you spoke, and the world was created. You spoke, and there was light. You spoke, and you brought us into being. You spoke, and you calmed the seas. You spoke, and you, you healed diseases. You cast out demons, and you spoke, and you said, go. You spoke and you said, go. And so, Lord, I ask that you will help us to, to embrace that teaching, embrace that understanding, God, that we will know and be sure and be confident in who you are and who we are in you. Lord, I pray that you will get rid of any doubts that we have this morning, Lord. I pray that you will stir our hearts to go. And, Lord, as we move forward in this teaching about the Great Commission, God, that you will help us to contend for the faith, that we will understand the, the great privilege that you've given us, God, to work for you, the great privilege to participate in your glorious and master plan. Lord, help us not to fear. God, get rid of all the fear in our lives and help us, God, just, just to completely put our faith in you. Lord, as the song said, haste the day that our, that our faith will be made sight. Thank you, Lord, so much for this church, for your believers, for your family in this church, for calling us together, God. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to equip us and motivate us and spur us on, Lord, to do your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.